Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right. This week, we get to hear from the legendary disco singer, Linda Clifford. I love disco. I wish we featured it on here more often. I'm so glad she talked to me. So, Linda was actually one of the most successful female singers of the disco genre. And from the mid-70s through the early 80s, she was signed to Curtis Mayfield's Kurtom label. And she put out a bunch of albums, all of which were successful. She had a bunch of hits on the R&B and dance charts. Uh, four number one hits on the dance charts, in fact, including Runaway Love, Don't Come Crying to Me, Shoot Your Best Shot, and of course, this classic right here, If My Friends Could See Me Now. Well, around the mid-80s, her career started to kind of taper off, and she decided to step away and raise her family. Uh, but time has actually been really good to Linda. And in fact, it's been good to disco and ladies of the disco genre. She is out there right now. She tours occasionally as a member of the First Ladies of Disco show. In fact, this Friday in Las Vegas, if you happen to be in Las Vegas, uh, she and Martha Wash and Norma Jean Wright are performing as the First Ladies of Disco at, let me get this right, Myron's Cabaret Jazz at the Smith Center in Las Vegas. Now, something else that's kind of cool. There's this new label called Blixa Sounds, and they have remastered and are re-releasing four of Linda's classic albums from the 1978 to 1980 period. And they come out this Friday as well. They were kind enough to send me copies of these. They are so, so good. So we talk about what it's like to kind of have this resurgence so late in life. Linda is one of the nicest most coolest down-to-earth people we've ever had on here. I, You will love this conversation. Uh, one of her other big hits was the song Red Light, which was produced by Isaac Hayes and appeared on the Fame soundtrack in 1980. Remember that? That was huge. So we talk about how fa the Fame soundtrack impacted her life. We talk about working with Curtis and Isaac Hayes. She was an actress for a little while, so we talk about when she met uh, Clint Eastwood and Tony Curtis and a few other people. She was also Miss New York in 1966 and she tells a story in here that's kind of frustrating actually, if you like civil rights anyway, um, about that experience. It wasn't as good as it should have been. Anyway, let me add you a, a little bit of color to this conversation in case some a couple things come up that you don't know about. She references, we talk about a guy in here named James Arena. Now James has written a series of books um, all about like disco or dance music or dance pop of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And she was interviewed for James's book. I've never read one of these books. I've always meant to. He had Taco, remember our former guest Taco, put on the Ritz? He was involved in these books. I've always meant to read these books. They look amazing. And she was featured in this book. So if you hear us talk about James Arena in the books, that's what we're referring to. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this. I thought she was so delightful. I loved her. All right? She called me from her home in Chicago. So, Linda, I had been wanting to talk to you because um, I don't always go back into people's origins too, too much in the past because I feel like that's the easiest stuff to Google if you wanted to know. But in your right. case, I was really curious about... As learning about how you became Miss New York in 1966 as a black woman at that time that had to be unique. But I read something recently about there being some controversy attached to that as well. Can you tell us that story? Well, yeah, I can do that. I think uh, probably that was uh, 
the worst time, you know, for a black woman to to get involved with the pageant industry. Um, I know that there were black pageants, uh, specifically mm. pageants for black women. But I I actually got involved on a dare. Mm. Had a girlfriend uh, in school who dared me to enter this pageant. You know, it was a you know went both ways. I dared her. <laughs> well, I actually won uh, the pre-teen or the teen teenage pageant Mm -hmm. and you know what you don't think about when you enter these things is that if you win you have to keep going (laughs) and so yeah so here I am I'm like okay this is over I'm done and uh no sweetheart you're not you have to keep going (laughs) and uh so the the finally you know I did the Miss Brooklyn teenager Miss Brooklyn and I won those and then there I was in the Miss New York pageant. Well, all of a sudden, you know, I look around and I see, hmm, there was, I believe, one other black woman, mm. or she might have been Latina, <laughs> and myself. Wow. And um, I thought, well, this is odd. I don't see any of my friends like Miss Bronx or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all, all the girls that I knew. Yeah. And I didn't recognize any of these people. So we go through with this whole thing. And this was part of uh, the Miss USA system. They crown these two young women. One was Miss New York State and one was Miss New York City. Well, you know, here I'm like, okay, fine. I'm finally out of Mm -hmm. it. I go back and I'm packing up my stuff. And of course, my parents are with me. I think I was just 18. Mm. And, you know, they're like, well, let's go. I got to go to work in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, one of the judges comes running after us. And he says, no, you can't leave yet. There's been a mistake. And we're like, what are you talking about? And he said, just wait one minute. And we're sitting and the next thing I know, there's photographers, newspaper reporters, they're in my face, they're taking all these pictures. And it turns out that I actually got the judges' votes and should have been announced Miss New York State. Wow. But they gave it to this other girl. Because and she so was white? A, because she was white. Oh. Yeah. Well, hey, listen. <laughs> Still, that's not Which, right. Oh, yeah. You, <laughs> you know this. So, <laughs> you know this. <laughs> right. So the, the wind up of the story to, you know, make this whole thing uh, end finally, th- you know, I started getting hate mail and uh, they no were way. threatening our lives. And we had my family had to leave our home. We had to move. What? Because, yeah, the reporter actually printed our address. Oh. In the newspaper. So when you picked up the Daily News, it had my name, my address, everything about us in the newspaper. No way. And that was yeah. just a, his way of like um, t- making you paranoid. He knew, I guess this reporter yeah. knew that people would come after you if he did that. Well, you know, I, I, I wondered about that for a long time. I thought, what is this guy secretly in the clan? And he's like, yeah. But, um, yeah, so that was kind of the story. I mean, and, you know, here, that was 1966, and here we are in 2018, and we're still fighting 
yeah. some of the same old battles. It's yeah. a shame, but yeah. you know. That's too bad. You know, that's what we have to do. Yeah. We just have to keep fighting. That's right. the key. Always, it seems like. Um, so let me, you know, I've never been able to really ask anyone this question before, and I've always been curious. I think yeah. uh, beauty pageants, especially in this day and age, are sort of um, pitched as uh, um, first steps, you know, like a, like you, this leads to other things. If you, if you do well right. in a beauty pageant, you go on to be an entrepreneur or an actress or a singer. It sounds like you joined as a dare, but had you always planned on doing something in the arts from a young age? I know I, you could sing. Oh, absolutely. Really? I always wanted to do that. I, I wanted to be a dancer, mm. but, um, you know, at that time, you had to be like a giant and I'm a miniature type person. Are you? How tall are you? I'm only five, two. Really? (laughs) Yes. And I know everybody thinks I'm taller, you know, but it's like the camera angle. Yeah. Poor photographer is always on his hands and knees. No, I've always assumed you were taller than that. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. But, um, you know, I auditioned for Broadway musicals and I would always be the shortest person yeah. of the audition. Wow. And I thought, this is not good. Yeah. This isn't working for me. But I, at the same time, I was uh, singing from the time I was four mm-hmm. years old. So, you know, I thought, yeah. well, if I can't dance, I'll sing. Okay. And, you know, that was my key. I always, always wanted to do musicals or be involved somehow in music. Huh. That was... So you think what if I your love. if your acting career took off, do you think you would have been equally as happy, or do you think that that urge to sing would have always been there? I think the singing thing was really number one mm. because you know I did some acting, I managed to um, you know do a few films, and mm-hmm. I just you know, I'm not the most patient person mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. and to sit on a bus all day or in a dressing room to shoot one scene 20 times, you know, I've gone through that and eh, not Mm -hmm. my thing. Right. I could see that. You know, it sounds like a lot of sitting around. Exactly. You know, and especially when you're young and really just starting to get your foot in the door and you think, Oh my God, I'm going to be in a movie. I got a role in a movie. (laughs) And then you just sit there for seven hours. Oh my gosh. That sounds terrible. yeah, it can be a little frustrating. I, I don't know. Um, maybe now it wouldn't be so bad because I'm an old broad and I like <laughs> I like to sit around. Well, now we have the internet too. You didn't have that before. Exactly. Now you can entertain yeah. yourself. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. know, words with friends. You know. Exactly. That's, there you go. Very cool. That's great. <laughs> Um, but I got to ask you about a couple of the people that you worked with. I don't know. Uh-huh. You, I don't believe you acted with Sidney Poitier, but I think you guys did some kind of NAACP like commercial or. You know, or it was like actually that. a show. Oh, it was, it was. Some kind of yes, it was. Um, and I, I'll tell you honestly, I was so young at the time. I don't know if I even remember all my facts mm. straight, but I do remember Harry Belafonte. And Sidney Poitier were both on the show. Oh, my gosh. And I came out and I sang two Elvis Presley songs. You did? (laughs) I did. Wow. I was, I think I was five, maybe six. And um, I remember that Harry Belafonte kissed my hand. This happened when you were five or six years old? 
Yeah. Oh, I assumed you were a grown woman working with Sidney no! Poitier. Oh my gosh, singing Elvis? <laughs> well, I didn't know. <laughs> no, I was like five or six years old. Oh, yeah, and here I wanted to know stories about Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte. You were a kid. You didn't know. I, no, I was just <laughs> a baby. Hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that okay. was uh, that was one of the highlights of my career, you know, my young, very sure. young career. <laughs> but I remember, uh, let's see, what what was that darn song I sang? Um don't don't be cruel. Was don't, it, be, don't cruel. be cruel. Yeah, Elvis yeah. don't be cruel. That's what you say, huh? I did. Oh, <laughs> we got to find this on YouTube somewhere, Linda. Oh, you'll never find it on YouTube. <laughs> they didn't have cameras back in those. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, I wish. Oh man, that's crazy. Okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah. realize. Um, but you did. Now the movies you were in uh, featured Clint Eastwood and. Tony Curtis, I believe, right? Did you have any interactions with either of them? Not with Clint Eastwood. Um, I got to see him on set. Um, I, that film, I only worked um, for one day. Okay. And I got to see him on set, and I thought, oh, my God, that is a pretty man. Really? Oh, God. Wow, I believe it. Who knew he would grow into a right-wing lunatic? Yeah. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Clint's not five I, foot two as well, is he? No, okay. Tall, I thought tall so. Tall and thin and gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um yeah, Tony Curtis, um, I got to, you know, we had all had meals together, the mm. craft thing, you know, all the camera crew and all the people who were in the film, we all got to have our meals together. So Tony Curtis was very nice. And then I also uh got to work very briefly with uh, Shirley MacLaine sure. on uh, Sweet Charity. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I, I, I was very Rubbed some shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And, okay. you know, I I actually played poker in Las Vegas with Sammy Davis Jr. You did? <laughs> I did. I, I'm not poker, blackjack. Blackjack, that's, that's great. Yeah. So um, that was kind of cool, cool because, I, you know, I worshipped him. He was such a talented man. Yeah. Oh, good and, for you. Uh, that is great. Yeah, that See, was that was big fun. These are the stories I love to hear. Okay, so let's let's go into music now. I Okay. You'd had you'd put out some singles and got some a little bit of traction. There were things like it's gonna be a long, long winter and Okay, but then when your first album comes out, Linda, 
1977, <laughs> I believe. I find it really amazing that you put out, what, six albums in four years? Who does that? <laughs> yeah, nobody in their right mind. <laughs> yeah, you must have but, just been yeah. constantly working for four straight years. It was, exactly. And with no money to show for it. it was oh, really? Terrible. Oh, no. That was going to be my oh, next question. No. You know, everything... <laughs> Everything was like, oh, no, you're going on a promotional tour. It's promotional. There's no money involved. You're just uh, going to promote, promote. And I'm thinking to myself, something's very wrong with this picture. The roadies are making more money than I am. Oh I got this huge bill built up for the record company. I don't get it. I'm, I'm the only one that's not making any money here. That is insane. But, you know, that, that was part of the, uh, the music business back in those days. Yeah, well... <laughs> It's not you know? that much better now, you know? Well, it's so different now yeah, from everything that, that went on back then. And yeah. um, I guess, you know, now you see so many people, young people are producing themselves mm -hmm. and they're doing everything themselves, and which is brilliant. Right. Because they get to keep the money that they earn. Yeah. Where, you know, when I was coming along and a lot of the acts from the 70s and I, you know, I really shouldn't speak for anybody else. I have to really just speak for myself. But I know that, you know, I didn't know anything about operating a machine mm -hmm. or having a darn thing in my basement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was lucky I had a place to live, <laughs> much less a basement. True. So, <laughs> right. You know, so to yeah. have a studio and to be able to do those things for yourself, you know, that's. It's pretty incredible. It is. It is. Um, so I got to know. I mean, you know, 1977, From Now On, comes out. Becomes a big hit. How does your life change? I mean, we just unfortunately talked about it not changing that much monetarily, but you have to be, as somebody who always sang and had dreams of, you know, one day making it or whatever, did you feel like you had reached, you know, the making it? Did you feel like it, it had finally happened for you? Well, you know, I think that um, because of the tour that I was doing when from that one song, you know, just doing radio tours and, and that kind of thing and meeting 
uh, with the press. Um, I knew that my life was different. Mm. Things were going to look up and, Mm -hmm. and things were going to be better. And then, you know, immediately after we saw the success of that album, we started looking for songs for the next one. Mm. And that's when If My Friends Could See Me Now happened. Yeah, yeah. Now, and um, that just kind of blew up. Yeah. So how much of that? So, okay. So the first album comes out and it does well. And then when the next one, If My Friends Could See Me Now, that's got that one. That one's got Run, Runway Love. Curtis Mayfield, he comes into the picture in here. Does he find you or track you down because of you having saying it's going to be a long, long winter? Or was it something completely different? It was completely different. I actually found him. Oh, really? Okay. Well, you know, the long, long winter thing happened. And then there was this period in between. And, um, you know, I was you know, living in Chicago, I was a single mom. I was raising, I have a two-year-old son, a foster child, my younger sister, who were, you know, both girls in high school. And I was singing at the Playboy Club. And I thought, well, how long can I do this? You know, I've got to get these kids through school. And I, you know, my mind was just crazy. And so I thought, there's got to be something else. And then I realized there was a record company that I heard about in a certain area of town. And I got into a cab and I went over there one day and I just said, I'd like to speak to Curtis Mayfield. You're kidding. And somebody, the receptionist thought I was somebody important. <laughs> who else would have and the I'm balls like, to come over and do this? Right. Yeah. Who is Exactly. It's like, <laughs> anyway, so, you know, here I, I I go over there and they take, Curtis was not in, but mm. his business partner, who was uh, the president of the company, they took me up to his office and I introduced myself and I said, I'm a singer, I'm performing over, you know, here at the Playboy Club and I'd like to invite you to come and hear me. Wow. Well, a couple of days go by, nothing. All of a sudden I see you know, this big flurry one night at the club and they're moving tables around and this whole, and about 15 people walk in and one of them is Curtis Mayfield. Mm. And they sat right 
in front of the stage and oh my god i did everything (laughs) i pulled every trick out of of my bag that i could manage i did aretha i did uh oh oh my god everybody and because i didn't have a song of my own you know i just did all those covers that i would do in the clubs and Mm -hmm. i think about three days later i had a signed contract that is incredible did they yeah, know who I, you were from because of From Now On, or were you completely new to them? No, no. From Now On was the first thing I did with them. Oh, I thought that I thought I thought that first album was done by someone else, and then Kurt Thomas no, came on. No, that was theirs okay. too. That was okay. theirs. Got it. And okay. then, um, yeah, so that was theirs. And got it. I mean, I just what have I got to lose? All they can sure. do is say no. Oh man. And. Were, were you a Curtis Mayfield <laughs> fan? I mean, were you aware of who he was, was and everything? I was a Curtis Mayfield okay. fan from, from, you know, when I was living back in Brooklyn, New York. Sure. I mean, I used to sing his songs, Amen. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knew that. Yeah. And, um, you know, so to have him come out and hear me, I was a nervous wreck, of That's course. crazy. But, you know, wow. I did it. I did Good. Streisand, um, Aretha. Yeah. I, I pulled out some jazz. I said, what do you want? I <laughs> what do you want? I can do it. You name yeah. it and I'll sing it. I can do it all. You got it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, now. But I guess that's what you have to do. If I you want to so. be successful, you have to kind of be a little pushy. You do. I think you're right. Um, and you and you had the talent to back that up. I'm sure that, I'm sure that if he wasn't, you wouldn't say so. But was I assume he was a good person to work with, a good partner, a good musical partner? He, you know what? He really was. And um, someone had asked me about him just recently. And I was saying, you know, he, his music, you can hear his entire personality in his songs. You Mm. know, the laid back, cool Mm -hmm. guy, Mm -hmm. that was Curtis. Okay. And um, easy to work with. Very, very gentle man. Mm. And, um, you know, I miss him. I, it, yeah. It's sad, you know, that whole thing that that happened to him. Um, mm. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. I think like a lot of people, I was just in shock and, um, you know, very saddened by it. But mm-hmm. uh, we traveled, we toured on the road together for a while. Really? Did you and, two ever date? Yeah, Oh, God, no. Oh, really? (laughs) No, because he was married. Oh, well, but that doesn't stop people in show business sometimes, you know? Okay. Yeah, no. So there was no dating involved. Okay. Okay. (laughs) There was no love story. (laughs) Okay. Just curious, you know. Okay. It's all right. You can ask. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys made some beautiful music together. I'm curious though, when the set, when the next, I should say the next album comes out, let me be your woman. Um, whose idea was it to have bridge over troubled waters to, for you to do a disco fied version of that hit?
Ideally, we wanted to do good songs. When we had the success from If My Friends Could See Me Now, we, you know, we thought, well, if there's going to be a cover tune on this album, on mm. this next album, we have to do something really different. We don't want to just, you know, take it and make it straight the way it mm-hmm. was. What's the point of that? Sure. So, um, we also did um, a song that was done by Jimmy Durante. I don't even know if you know who he I is. sure do, yeah. Really? You do? Yeah, yeah, I know who he is. The song, um, one of those songs is the <laughs> title. Yeah. I didn't realize Jimmy did that. No way. I didn't realize that. (laughs) Yeah. So instead of just doing, you know, the verse that he did, Uh it's one of those songs that, da, 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 Uh da. You know, we wrote that intro. You know, what is the name of that song that keeps me dancing? Because we just kept thinking about all the clubs that were so hot and happening around the country. Yeah. where people were, you know, really filling the dance floor. And we did this whole intro before we went into the verse. And that's what we tried to do if we were doing a cover. Mm. Um, you know, always looking for good material so that, you know, the songs didn't just sound like they were coming out of a cookie cutter sure. type thing. Sure, yeah. You know, and um, <clears throat> we wanted the albums to really be good. They and were. wanted people to like them. Yeah. You know, you ta- you mentioned the cookie cutter thing, and that was something that I wanted to ask you about. What do you think it takes to make, at that time, a really excellent disco diva? You know? Because at, at the time, I mean, I miss disco music. I, I think it was so much more sophisticated and fun than it got credit for. Even to this day, I feel like it sometimes gets marginalized. But I with, agree. Yeah. And I feel like women like you had had such an incredible platform to shine on your vocal talents, not so much on like, I don't not to say you weren't sexy, but it was, you know, in the 80s, it became more about Madonna and sexiness and stuff like that. Then it was about these powerful voices singing these incredible songs. What do you think made for the perfect disco diva? Why you and why anyone else who was popular around that time? 
I think, um, you know, I, oh boy, that's a good question. Um, I think that some having help as far as a stylist mm. mm-hmm. for photo shoots and certainly having some uh, taste yourself in yeah. knowing what looks good on your body and what looks good on you. You know, there was a certain way that you carried yourself. There was a, an elegance about you. There mm. was a, you know, just that non-slouch walk. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you walked like a lady. You spoke like a lady. <clears throat> you could be sexy without being trashy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, that was part of it. Ah, uh, interesting. Because I yeah. think, you know, so many... So many black women, especially growing up in the church and everything, they can sing. There's a lot of women out there who can sing, but not every one of those people who could sing could also then command the kind of, you know, attention and performance that people like you or Gloria Gaynor or Vicki Sue Robinson or whoever did at that time. And I just wondered what that secret ingredient was, you know, that you guys had that maybe they didn't. And maybe it was the the sort of sense of fashion or sense of you know, carrying yourself, your stature. I think that was part of it. I think also, you know, at least for me, I was very fortunate. My folks, you know, they did put me in school when I was very young for dancing, although Mm. they didn't put me there because they wanted me to be a dancer. They put me there because I was clumsy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just call me Grace. Right. And, um, you know, so... You know, they wanted to help their poor kid yeah. be able to walk down the street without falling. But I I learned from a very early age how to grab my audience, mm. how to keep my audience, and to make eye contact, mm. to, um, you know, th- those are things that I think are important. A lot of young performers come out now and they either just stand there Mm. or they dance so much that they don't get a chance to sing Mm -hmm. where, but they don't really know how to tell a story. And I think that, you know, too is something that um, a lot of disco performers from back in the day could Mm -hmm. do that. You know, Mm -hmm. we didn't have to just sing, you know, the, 127 beat stuff. Mm-hmm. We could sing a ballad mm-hmm. and make you the hair stand up on your arm. Yeah. And you know, that those are things that I think are really important. And a lot of that is missing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely yeah. see that. Yeah. Um, now, do you have any studio 54 stories to tell us? I'm sure you saw some crazy <laughs> things. I'm not telling. Oh, come on. <laughs> Give us something, a little something. Listen, everything that you've ever heard uh-huh. about Studio 54 mm-hmm. is true. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I can tell you. I was there um, quite a bit. Yeah. And um, there was always some sort of dust flying in the air. <laughs> yeah. There was, you know, yeah, there, I do. no matter where you went, uh-huh. it was there. Okay. And um, the people the parties, and it was all about getting, putting on your Sunday best, having a wonderful evening, and just enjoying the company. Yeah. I mean, there were no fights, 
no confusion, no screaming, yelling. I mean, it was just beautiful, beautiful people dressed mm-hmm. in beautiful, expensive clothes dancing. Oh, man. And it was fabulous. Okay. Um, now, if this is too personal, you don't have to answer, but were, dr- were drugs or anything like that ever a part of your life back then? I think that um hmm let me think (laughs) (laughs) my memory's gone oh okay 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 um (laughs) i would i would have to say yes to a small degree but not heavy sure heavy kind of stuff but something that might get me from uh one gig keep me awake from Mm -hmm. one gig to another (laughs) Mm -hmm. that was pretty common back then you know Oh my God, we, we would be in a bus driving from Washington state to Westchester, New York. And you know, there's the agent is telling us, well, you have six hours to get there. We're like, what? are you kidding me? You know? And so you're driving through the night, you leave one pack up and leave one place and then head off to another. But of course, you know, nobody can can do that. That's mm-hmm. literally impossible. Yeah. But but you try. Yeah. Just the same, and that's what life is like on the road when you're doing that kind of a tour. You know, we were not um, always privy to flights. You know, to where we were going because mm-hmm. we had so much equipment. So we had the roadies were driving everywhere with the equipment, and of course they would park somewhere and the equipment would be stolen. Uh-huh. So they would have to buy more equipment for the gig yeah. that night. I mean, it was just, you know, insanity. Right. But, um, but yeah, you know, I think at that point, almost everyone, it touched everyone in, at some point. And then, you know, you finally you get some rest and you say, wait a second, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I quit. Mm-hmm. I got to stop this. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll get to the end here in a little bit, but I want to ask you some more things about this. First of all, can you t- come one fifty studio 54 story? Could you, t- you know, you saw Mick Jagger making out with Cher or you saw, you know, Nile Rogers smoking, uh, uh, snorting Coke with Andy Warhol, <laughs> whatever it is. Can you, I mean, it could be someone who's dead. Just tell us a little something. I walked into the bathroom and these two people were doing this or that. Whatever it might okay. be, can you I'm tell us a little something? You, I will tell you one name. I will okay. mention one name that okay. everyone is familiar with. And you've already mentioned her name. Her name is Madonna. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was there with my uh, fiancé. Mm-hmm. And we were on the dance floor because we were about to go up into the booth and they were going to play my song and it was going to be a big thing, right? So at that time, they had these huge square boxes just scattered throughout, you know, the whole place on the floor and people would climb on the boxes and and do their whole thing. Well, you know, I'm sitting there and we're he and I are listening to the music and I happen to look over and she is higher than... A kite, I'm sure. <laughs> and she's looking at him and she's sticking her tongue out and doing all this, yeah. you know, really obnoxious stuff. Things you're not surprised like, that Madonna would do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, she don't know that <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> right. 
and I will cut her. <laughs> so Got it. he's like, just ignore her. Just don't even look. And at that time, you know, Madonna didn't even have anything out, mm, mm-hmm. but she had that look, you know, she had yeah. that look that she, the way she dressed and the mm-hmm. way she acted and that kind of thing. And so I kept trying to get up to go punch her out and she kept trying to hold me back. And I'm like, bitch, don't <laughs> go bitch. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yes. Was, uh, yeah, I was going to hurt her. Good. Oh, that's great. <laughs> See, thank you. That's what I wanted. I wanted at least there one good go. story. Okay, good. You got a story. Good, you good, good. Perfect, perfect. Um, okay, now I got to ask you too about working with I with Isaac Hayes because he produces your oh. Yours album, and I love Isaac Hayes. And- I've never, I didn't know that about him producing it until much later. And it does sound like that sort of orchestrated funk disco mer- hybrid thing he was doing around that time. Tell me yes. about Isaac. Isaac, oh my God, he was a dream to work with. Really? Absolutely. Oh, I loved Isaac. And, you know, the other wonderful thing um, I think about music back in, in that particular era is, you know, we used live musicians. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about having a beat come out of a machine or, you know, yeah. fake violins. These were real instruments, you know, being played. And that was one of the things mm-hmm. I loved about Curtis and Isaac. They both, to the max. They had the most respect for musicians, Cool. which, you know, it's just phenomenal because when you spend your life around these people, these musicians, and you know how hard they work and how they study to to build their craft, you have really a great deal of respect for them. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes up with a a beatbox Mm -hmm. and somebody's out of work and can't feed his kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that was pretty bad. But to work with Isaac was the thrill of a lifetime. Oh, that's great. And a real, you know, just a a true producer. Mm -hmm. You know, producers back in those days, man, when you got in the studio with Mm -hmm. somebody that knew what they were doing, they knew what they wanted. When you sang a line, they would say, okay, well, now you've done it that way. Now I want you to sing it like you're angry at him mm-hmm. and you're you, I mean they give you a whole story right you know they give you a reason 
open to sing a song a certain way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now people are calling themselves producers and, and they basically, they put on a track and they say, okay, go, go make up a, a melody. Right. Well, if I'm making up a melody, I'm writing the music. Yeah. Yeah. So, good point. You know, you, know, you, you, you know, touched on something that I've always uh, thought in relation going back to more the, the sophistication of disco that I don't think people, it gets enough credit for, you know, with the advent of synthesizers in the early 80s, you could simulate strings on a song by just hitting one key on your little keyboard there. And I love that sound too, but I think it gets lost that when you hear these massive, beautiful strings on a on a bumping disco track, those were actual oh. people playing those instruments. It's nothing formulated or electronic. It's the real deal. That's why I think Absolutely. that's the, it bothers me that it doesn't get more credit. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, I do know what you mean, and 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 it's really a shame because, as I said, these people work at mm. their craft and mm. um, they know what they're doing. And when they play, the, there's no sound that you can recreate from a machine that is going to be equal. I agree. Yeah. To the real thing. Yeah. Um, now, when you are recording these songs, are you uh, are you at ever recording with them? I assume you're in a vocal booth. Are they around you? Is it a pre-recorded track or are you singing first? What's the layout? It depends. You know, many times with um, when I worked with Curtis, a lot of the stuff was recorded and they would have the track finished and then I would come in and do the vocal. Mm. Um, but every once in a while, you know, there would be something else that they would want to add. And then I would come in at the same time and we would do that. But the basic track would always be done. The rhythm section would be done. Okay. And, uh, very often, you know, I would come in when they were adding, you know, violins or percussion or, you know, different, uh, parts of the tune and the same with Isaac, mm. you know, if he, um, came to Chicago with some tracks already produced oh, okay. things that he had already done for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then we would add musicians as we went along. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it would vary depending on the song. Okay. Did he select you or did you select him? How did you guys come together? Well, the company wanted me to work with, with mm -hmm. Isaac. Okay. I think it, it, it's funny because the year before I presented him with the Lifetime Achievement Award mm. on, oh gosh, what was the Dick Clark? Uh, American Music Awards. American Music Awards, right. Mm -hmm. Evelyn Champagne King and I, uh, we presented him with that award. And that's when we met for the first time. Mm. So, um, you know, we kind of hit it off and, and everybody liked each other and the record company thought, well, hmm. You know, maybe mm -hmm. Isaac would be interested in, and we could get them together and see if we could get a couple of good songs. And then it just turned into an entire album. That's great. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, now, let me ask you, uh, July 1979, Comiskey Park, the whole disco demolition. A lot of people, uh. well, people, yeah, people in retrospect uh, say that's, you know, when it all started to end or when it did end. I interviewed... Harry Wayne Casey from Casey and the Sunshine Band. And he was saying that it didn't really affect him yet, that it was still a little, there was some lag time before things really started to kind of close down. Were you, did yeah. you find yourself affected 
by that? And how quickly afterwards did it start to kind of impact your career or did it, you know? Well, it did. I think it it had a tremendous effect on did many, it? many people. Um, I was fortunate, fortunate enough that I was able to continue to work in another field, and that was doing um, jingles. Mm. I did jingles for television and radio. So, you know, your Tropicana orange juice, yeah. and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, and Oldsmobile, all those uh, Michelob Light yeah. commercials. I was, you know, the voice on those. And I've, I've so talked to a lot of other people that have done that, and they w- made way more money singing jingles than they ever did oh in their recording God. career. It was amazing. I, yeah. I would love to get up every morning and walk out to the mailbox. I'm like, yeah, there's going to be a check there today. You know, <laughs> just get those checks. Yeah. But, um, but that really, you know, and the fact that my husband, you know, was um, a drummer mm. and uh, played, you know, he's played all his life. So he's always been in the business and, you know, we managed to keep our family going by That's doing, amazing. you know, what we love still. Yeah, but that was, a, that affected uh, everybody very much. And I, to this day, I'm angry about it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I really, it's so I unfortunate. Really yeah. It was, um, you know, when you have the kind of platform that he had, mm-hmm. You know, when you're on the air and you're talking to hundreds of thousands of people a day mm-hmm. and you're dogging one profession over another, or one type of music over another, and then you're announcing that you're going to have this demolition thing. Yeah. You know, millions of people heard that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the sales obviously went down. Record sales died. Mm. The, a lot of clubs closed. People lost their way of living. It's terrible. They had no way to feed their families because of this idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention that they destroyed the field. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I I don't know. I just think people should be a little bit more thoughtful when it comes to certain things. And and that was certainly one of them. I mean, who is he? Who's (laughs) made him you know the the music god i know i totally agree (laughs) yeah oh my god yeah i totally agree yeah yeah it's interesting i I thought it was horrible i thought you might and it's funny i was google imaging you and i found Uh a picture of you singing the national anthem at that same park Park. shortly after that right yes Yes. So they must have gotten over it eventually and invited you to come sing for them. Well, you know, I listen, I I don't know if I should tell you this, but I'm a Cubs fan. So there you go. (laughs) um, When they called me, I'm like, no, can't you get the Cubs? I want to sing it at Wrigley. (laughs) There you go. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, but, um, you know, I... Listen, it's the national anthem. I said, okay, fine, I'll sing it, whatever. Cool. And, um, you know, they sent the limo. I, I sang it. I got That's right great. back in the car and I came back to the north side. <laughs> that is great. I love it. Yeah. Good. Okay. Now we have to talk about the fame soundtrack. I work so hard to get 
you, I can't remember, I don't think when you recorded Red Light with Isaac on that I'm Yours album, that wasn't, Fame came afterwards. Fame Did Fame select that song from that album to be placed in the movie? No. Oh, that really? Actually, for the movie. Oh, it, it was, was okay. Yeah, it was recorded for the soundtrack. And I was, um, actually, I was working with Michael Gore at the time. Mm. And he and Dean Pitchford wrote all the music and um, lyrics mm. for that film. Yeah. So they wrote, they wrote everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, they wanted me to do Red Light. And mm. so I had no idea mm. at all where they were going to use it in the movie. And... Um, you know, and then when I finally saw the film and realized, oh my gosh, it's <laughs> like the whole audition scene, <laughs> I was totally freaked out. I just loved it. So, Good. yeah. yeah. Good. And then uh, they put the song, as well as being on the soundtrack, they put it on the I'm Yours album uh, mm. with Isaac's music. So, okay. you know, it was a double bonus. Yeah, me. I wondered about that. Um, we should establish Dean Pitchford for anyone who doesn't know, not only did he write the songs for fame, but he also wrote the songs for Footloose. And just between those two movies, that guy, that's, a, I mean, if you do nothing else in your career, those are two of like the watershed music yeah. movies of all time. You, you could, How about it? you vacation the rest of your life on stuff like that. You know what I mean? Exactly. So good for exactly. him. Now, I think yeah. the Fame soundtrack sold like 3 million copies or something like that. It was a gigantic hit. Did that yeah, have an I, impact on your life? Well, it did. I, you know, I ended up with, the, you know, the triple platinum album, uh -huh. you know, which I'm very proud of, which Good. is great. Good. And um, I think that the film was actually nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that year, but um, it did not win an Oscar. So mm -hmm. I was kind of devastated. I thought, <laughs> Oh my God, I'm going to have an Oscar too, but mm -hmm. that didn't happen. So, yeah. um, but yes, that is part of the reason I think that I was able to continue to work in, in many of the clubs mm. um, and red light. If my friends could see me now, runaway love, don't come crying to me. I mean, those were like anthems. Absolutely.
to this day, I can't do a show without doing especially Runaway Love and yeah. if my friends could see me now. Mm-hmm. I did a show uh, two days ago, mm. uh, um, an outdoor uh, concert, and we had to close with those shows because songs, <laughs> because people were like, ah, Of course. <laughs> those are your calling <laughs> cards forever, right? I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. So, so that's always a great feeling to know that people, you know, know your your music yeah. and they sing along with you. And um, it just makes me feel really warm inside. It's Good. a great feeling. It should. And those songs endure. I mean, those hits of yours are still just as vibrant and fun and energetic as they were back then. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. they're great. And I, yeah. I got to tell you, I am just so thrilled with... Uh, you know, Blick's uh, sounds, what mm-hmm. they did with those songs, you know, they sound even better now. They do, yeah. It, you know, the remastering and everything is just phenomenal. So yeah. I, I'm thrilled with them. I really am. Good. Me too. Yep. I, um, so I, now I got to ask you about Stepping Away. 1985, you kind of decide, and the sounds changed. I mean, the disco isn't happening anymore. That last hit of yours, um, The Heat, what, what's it? Uh, oh, The Heat in Me. The Heat in Me, yeah. song but it sounds kind of more like everything else that's happening around that time where you sort of losing right. interest it's a little more r&b i think yeah too. yeah um were you feeling like you know what i'm gonna i think i i think the the thing i've heard is that you walked away because you wanted to raise a family and i never know if that's what people say when they if they really want to do that or if that's what they say when they're kind of over their careers or not getting the shots they got before um there were, I think there were uh, multiple reasons. Mm. My main concern, though, was my family. Mm-hmm. I have two, I have two young children, and my youngest was about to start school, and I felt it was important for me to mm. be there and put them on that school bus every day and be there when they got home. Mm-hmm. And so, um, doing the jingles. Mm allowed me to do that mm-hmm. um and then also i you know i felt that the business was was really uh, had changed at that point and uh, you know i found that um it seemed that the the record companies really you know the people that ran the companies were like 
uh, they could have been my kids, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they, <laughs> yeah. you know, they had their ideas on what they wanted. And anybody that was over 30 was too old. Right. Right. And so, um, but unfortunately what they don't realize, uh, or, and didn't realize at the time was, you know, those, those are the people, the people that you're shutting the door on are the ones who have the experience and right. they know how to respond in situations they know how to perform on stage those are the ones you're closing out yeah i agree and you know you're you're going to be stuck with somebody that you have to train Mm -hmm. and Mm um you know so that became an issue and i thought to myself do i really want to deal with this Mm -hmm. you know and um i love being at home and being a mom and um i did that and I got to sing at the same time. I was a happy camper. Perfect. I'll Sounds perfect then. Yeah, I was really pretty happy. Good. And, um, you know, the kids, you know, grew up, of course, and everybody went off to college and they're mm-hmm. gone. And now it's just my husband and I. And then, so, you know, mm-hmm. being back out on the road and, and traveling when I want to, not when I have to. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big difference also. Definitely. You know, I don't have to get on a bus and drive for 3,000 miles or, mm-hmm. you know, but I can accept a gig and um, and I can turn down a gig. Mm-hmm. I, You know, so, you know, at this stage of my life, I, I'm like, cool, I'm pretty happy with the way perfect. things turned out. Yeah, my kids are human beings. I love them. I, you know, they're, I would want to be their friend if I wasn't their mom. That's amazing. So, Good for you. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's really important. I agree. So, and you've been yeah. married this whole time, right? 40 years. It'll be 40 years in November. Oh, my yes. gosh. Good for you. you believe, I know, isn't it, in this business? It is. Kind of, it's like unheard of, and I still like him. Oh, perfect. Good oh for you. Oh, my God. How did that happen? No kidding. <laughs> that's the big one right there. Good for you. Yeah. Good. Seriously. It's really great. And, um, you know, we we just got off the phone with our grandchildren, you know, saying goodnight, everybody's going to bed. You know, they they live out of town, so we don't get to see them as often as we'd like. And uh, it's always nice to get a surprise call from them. And we just wanted to call and say goodnight. (laughs) That's what life's all about, right? You put in all those years of struggle and strain so you can get to this stage in your life and enjoy it. Absolutely. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Um, Now we got to talk about the first ladies of disco, you and Martha Wash, Evelyn Champagne King. I don't know. um, I don't know if you guys do this regularly, if it's like a one-off, how often do you guys perform together? What's the plan? Well, here's, you know, here's the fun thing about it. Uh, Are you familiar with the book? Uh, yeah, James Arena. Okay. I don't James know him Arena. personally, but he and I are Facebook friends. And oh, um, so I know you're in his book. I love him. Yeah. Well, it turns out, I I believe I was the first person he interviewed for the book. Oh, fun. Yeah. And um, we just grew to be really good friends. And so um, Martha, I met oh my gosh, 35, 40 years ago in Italy, we were doing the Venice Music Festival. She was still singing backup with Sylvester. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, 
so, you know, we've known each other forever. And at some point, you know, she was interviewed for a portion of the book and we were all in there and we thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to put something together? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and Marsha's, uh, Martha's manager, uh, James Washington, came, you know, came to me and he said, well, you know, we've been talking about this and we kind of liked the idea of doing it. So here we are. And in fact, I'm, I'm meeting them. I'm leaving Sunday. I have a show of my own in uh, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Mm-hmm. And then I go on to Richmond, Virginia with the First Ladies of Disco. And we're going to be doing a show with the with their symphony. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And the following weekend, we'll be in Las Vegas. <laughs> Good for you. I mean, yeah. Now- so, we, you know, we do, we do quite a few things. We've got a Christmas show that we're doing in New York. And... Um, we just have a blast together. Good. So, you know, it's it's great. We, we've incorporated Norma Jean Wright, mm. the original singer from Chic, mm-hmm. uh, into the show. And, um, you know, we just we just have a great time and our audiences really love it. So that's great. You know, we can't complain. Sure. Cannot complain. Is it always the three of you? Are you kind of the core plus... Um, Norma Jean, or do you, does it switch out, uh, maybe based well, on where you're performing or who can come in and who can't? We do occasionally switch out because, you know, everybody still has their own individual career. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, James <laughs> tries to wrangle everybody together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he gets a call, he could, you know, contact everybody right away to let us know, hey, I need this date. Are you mm-hmm. open? So, you know, we try to uh, schedule things so that everybody can be there, our usual suspects, which would be myself mm-hmm. and Martha and now Norma Jean. So, um, but we do pull in other people. Okay. I saw something on, um, so Amoeba, the record store, does this online show called What's in My Bag? And I saw yes. you and uh, Mary Wilson on there doing a, and who was the third lady? Um, Frida Payne. That's it. Yes, Frida. And um, yes. And it was uh, the three of you showing what you were buying in the store that day. Do you perform with them? What was that that I saw? That was a fun little thing that we did. The three of us performed that night at Amoeba. Mm. And, um, you know... I just, they're such dear friends. And in fact, I'm going after Vegas. I'm going to spend some time out in LA just so I can hang with them for about Mm. a week. Um, So we can go out for dinner, you know, girls nights and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, so we did that and we went shopping in the store and then we did this little what's in my bag thing. And it turns out so many people have seen it on uh, YouTube <laughs> mm-hmm. that uh, I hear, you know, people ask about it all the time. But that was oh, cool. a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. Good. Now, let me, I always close these things with a couple of uh, the same questions. First of all, I want to know if you have any regrets, uh, if there were any kind of decisions that you made along the way in your career that maybe um, 
caused it to go down a path that you wouldn't have liked or you wish it hadn't gone. Some people don't have regrets and that's perfectly okay. But then I want to know too, what just your tastiest favorite memory when you're there at home with your husband in Chicago and you're thinking, I cannot believe this career I've had. I cannot believe this thing happened to me. What is that thing? Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to tell you this because I know, I mean, this is recent. Oh, good. Yeah, it's recent. I am featured in the African-American Museum in the Smithsonian. You are? Yes. What? Yes. Me. Wow. How? 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 What is it? How did this happen? They have, they, (laughs) somebody called me up and they said, you know, I just saw your album in, and I'm like, get out of here. (laughs) But no. I actually am. People send me pictures and they go, look, it's me next to you. Hey. No way. So, yes. So that is like the most amazing thing. And, you know, he and I are just overjoyed and through the moon. Good for you. Um, Yes, that's very exciting, especially after the Miss New York. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. It came full circle, didn't it? You showed them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, you showed them. Um, And as far as regrets, Oh, gosh. I think, I don't think I have any because everything that I've been through in my life and in my career Mm -hmm. has led me to this point Mm -hmm. and where I am. So, and I'm pretty darn happy right now. It sounds like it. That's amazing. Well, Linda, I think you're great. And I'm, you deserve this stage of your life. And I'm so grateful that you talked to me and I'm grateful that you have it. You earned it. And uh, thank thank you for all the great music you've put out there. Well, thank you so much for the time and and for this little chat that we have. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad you like the music. I love it. I love it. There you have it. Linda Clifford. Seriously, one of the nicest ladies ever. Don't you think? Such a pleasant surprise. I never know, guys, whether these things are going to go well or not. And when they do, and the guest has is so effervescent and cool like that, it makes everything so much better. Now, again, guys, this Friday, uh, four of those classic albums. If My Friends Could See Me Now from 1978, Let Me Be Your Woman from 1979, Here's My Love, also from 1979, and I'm Yours from 1980, all re-released this Friday on Blix's Sounds uh, label. So if you want to get more of this music, that's where you go. Blixus Sounds, I'll give you a little uh, little teaser. We'll play into the artist that we will be having on here in two weeks. Now, I should probably, I'm cheating a little bit, I should probably close it out with a song from one of those Blixus Sounds albums, but we didn't get into one of the albums of hers that I really like. She and Curtis Mayfield put out an album called The Right Combination, also in 1980. So busy during that period. This is a song off that album called Rock You To Your Socks. I love this track. I love Curtis Mayfield, too, so I had to play a little bit of the two of them. Now, I wish I was going to that show in Vegas, but I will be at the Nashville Rockin' Pod Expo this weekend. If you guys are there, please come say hello. Hopefully, we'll see a few of you. Next week's guest, I'm excited for this one. He is not a musician. He's a writer and a broadcaster. Uh, He is featured on a show as sort of a talking head talking about music. And so if you've seen this show, you will know exactly who I'm talking about. If you have not, 
you might be confused. However, it's never a bad thing to listen to a couple of guys debate music. And that's what it'll be. So that's our guest next week, okay? You guys know how to find us by now. Like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message. You can send us a uh, an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. A huge thanks to Wendy Jones, the publicist for Linda, who helped set this up. Thank you, Wendy, for everything that you do. Wendy helped us with Stu Cook back in episode 100. Remember that? That's one of the best episodes we've ever had. So thank you, Wendy, very much. And last but not least, a huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Yan the Man Makiewicz. Thank you, buddy, for everything you do. Gang, we will see you next Tuesday, if not earlier, at the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. Take care. Yeah.